Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to Hatfield today. I know it's school holidays, and particularly for the parents, thank you for being brave and uh, not staying at home. Uh, I have been asked just to uh, remind you th that today there will also be no baptism. They're just doing some maintenance in the venue where we have our baptismal pool, so unfortunately there will be no baptism today. And then just as in the announcements to also just highlight uh, the uh, Festival of Thought, which is hosted by Ravi Zacharias Ministries, uh, and to highlight again that this coming Sunday, uh, Professor John Lennox will be speaking to us in the morning service. Um, his interest lies very much in the area of the relationship between science, philosophy, and theology. So it'll be something a little bit different, but I think something wonderful that we can all also enjoy. So that's this coming Sunday, and then the Wednesday after that, so not this Wednesday, Wednesday week, uh, there's a, a guy, uh, Michael Ramsden will be hosting an event for business leaders. So particularly if you're in business and want to know a little bit about business ethics, he talks a lot about integrity in business and faith and fear and what's happening in the marketplace at the moment. So that'll be on the, uh, Wednesday the 18th, and that'll be in the minor auditorium. And then on the Monday following that, the uh, 23rd of April, there'll be an open Q&A session in this auditorium with Ravi Zacharias as well. So we invite you to bring your friends. The, the theme of this uh, event, uh, they phrase it this way, they say it's helping the thinker believe and the believer think. Okay, helping the thinker believe and the believer think. So you can decide which category you're in. Uh, I like being a thinking believer and a believer that thinks, so I'll go for both. Ah, so we had a good time in worship this morning, and it's always just good to remind ourselves that we love Jesus and he loves us back fiercely and more than we can ever imagine. So Jesus, as you're sitting here today, Jesus loves you. Can you hear that? Apparently I did this somewhere last time, but maybe last year sometime, and then someone said, well, you told us how much Jesus loved us, and then you gave us a bit of a direct word. I'm not doing that today, just in case you have a reference point, but just really wanted you to hear that, that Jesus loves you. So can we pray as we turn our attention to the Word of God? Father, thank you for your Word, and that through time and the providence and your power, you've preserved it for us so that we can engage with it, we can learn. And I pray that by your Spirit, you help us to receive what you have for us today as we turn our attention to your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. We've been talking this year so far, our kind of a theme, our underlying theme for the whole year is the theme of the disciples' quest, that as we go on this intentional journey with Jesus and we want to follow him, learn from him, uh, we want to grow in our understanding of our faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the important things about being a disciple that we need to learn and understand is that we never journey alone. We always journey together. And part of being a disciple is about being part of the body of Christ, part of a local church, part of a fellowship of believers, and that we, in that sense, are not alone. And so the title of my message this morning that I'd like to share is Being Part of the gifted body, being part of the gifted body. And if you have a Bible or a device here with a Bible, you can open so long to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've been in a, any type of charismatic church for a while, you'll know this is a, a well-known passage. So I'd like to invite you, no matter how well you know this passage, let's trust the Lord that we can maybe look at it with fresh eyes. And I definitely want to try and come, from it, come at this passage from a bit of a, a different angle this morning. I can vividly remember the first time I attended what's called a charismatic church. What do we mean by charismatic church? It's a kind of church that believes that you can be filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, but also, more than that, is that the Holy Spirit wants to give each believer gifts, and that each of us is gifted uh, as we gather together. And charismatic movements started kind of in the mid-1950s, really took off in the 1960s, um, as people started engaging with the Word of God and trusting God for more and had a greater hunger for what God was doing. And our church was a Baptist church uh, all the way for quite a while, actually, but in the 1960s. And as our senior pastor and the leaders in that time in the mid-1960s and onwards started listening to tapes and exploring what God was doing through this idea of being filled fresh and anew with the Spirit and God giving gifts, that's what produced what we are today. We went from a relatively small Baptist church, I think Pastor Sherry, a couple hundred people. And uh, if you look around, it's a little more than that today. 
And so this is key in the history of our church, this idea that we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first time I attended a charismatic church, I was in high school, I was in hostel in Bloemfontein. And uh, our school hostels were kind of on one side of town, if you know Bloemfontein, close to the university. And the church that we started attending, I don't know how pure my motives were. There was a young lady that I was quite interested in, and she went to that church. And so um, if you're a young lady and single, never underestimate your drawing power (laughs) to bring people to It's a gift. Um, But I was hungry for more things of God. I'd been born again about a year previously. I'd started reading the Bible a whole lot and started you know, hungering for more of God, and she went there, and she invited me to go with, and uh, the church was kind of on the other side of town, actually behind the railway station, so it was often we had to walk, we had to walk far, you had to like, be really serious for Jesus to want to go to that church, because you had to probably walk five or six k's, I think, while well, it felt that long, it was probably that far as well at the time, and I remember going into this uh, fellowship of believers, and it was like the, the, the atmosphere was charged, you know, just there was like something there uh, which was very drawing and very attractive. There was this charged atmosphere, and, um, and there were new songs that everybody sang, not songs that I was used to singing in church. And every now and then, people would sing. You know, those were the days where they had those overhead transparency machines. Does anybody remember them? And then they'd have the transparencies with the song words on. And then they'd be like a particularly anointed person. They would like sit at the front there, and they'd like put the right words up and they'd, you know, move the screen up and down. So everyone, do you remember those things? See, some of you do. And then I didn't know the song, so I had to really always focus on the words. And then every now and then people would start singing and the words wouldn't be there. And I didn't know. So I'd like get quite irritated with the transparency master because they obviously hadn't put up the right words. But what I didn't know is that actually the people had started singing in the spirit and started singing in tongues. And it took me a couple of times of attending to figure out that the words weren't supposed to be on the screen, that People were singing as they were led by the Spirit, which made me more hungry to find out how to do that and, and to get that right. I know now today that sense of atmosphere, that charged um, atmosphere that I'd experienced, there was actually the presence of God, there, the presence of the Holy Spirit in people's midst. I had the same experience when I came here for the first time to Hatfield. Many years ago, we drove up in buses from where the students stayed at that time, and we walked in here, and there was this presence of God in the place. And then there was this opportunity in the service where God could speak, and God could minister through people in the service, and people could go to the ministry mic. Uh, some of you who've been here a while might remember a gentleman. We used to call him Wim George. Does anybody remember Wim George? Okay, three of us, four. Okay. Wim George had almost a vision every Sunday. He'd go up, and usually the vision was about a mountain or a fountain or a river. But God would speak through him and give us words that used to encourage us. I wonder if you can remember your first experience of attending perhaps a a church where there was an openness to the Spirit and the things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. What was your first encounter with the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you were like me where you were a little confused of, you know, where the words, what they're doing now, or maybe it was something more clear and, and direct. What was your experience? And so we want to look today a little bit about this experience of the charismatic movement or the gifts that are given to the body of Christ. And particularly for context, we need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, because actually those three chapters form a unit. You have to kind of read them all together to get a proper perspective on what's going on in those passages. There's lots of the same words that are used in and through those passages. And there's probably three, two words and a phrase that I just want to highlight because they're common themes that repeated in these passages. The first one, it's, and it's Greek words. Um, if you are Greek speaking, forgive me for my pronunciation. I'm going to go with this is how they said it in ancient Greek. And don't ask me how I know that. Okay. Uh, the first word is the word pneumatica. The word pneuma is the, the Greek word for spirit. And so pneumatica is, depending in which uh, tense it's used or how it's passed, uh, pneumatica usually means the, the spiritual things or things of the spirit. Okay, pneumatica is one of the words. And we actually find this word in verse 1 in chapter 12 and also in verse 1 in chapter 14. That's how we know the chapters are are linked. Pneumatica, now concerning things of the Spirit or now about spiritual things. Uh, You'll notice in many translations they talk about spiritual gifts and I'll explain why they do that just now. Another important word is the word charismata or if you're American, charismata. Okay, but charismata, sorry, these Americans, yeah, sorry Mike. Is that the Texas way? 
no, okay, charismata, it's also a word that's used particularly in chapter 12 and, and 14. Uh, the, the root word there, charis, is the Greek word for grace. And martyrs are, are the gifts of grace, the things God gives us out of his grace that we don't deserve. He gives it to us because he likes us and he's kind and he wants his church to be built up. Charismata. So pneumatica, things of the spirit, charismatic, charismata, the gifts or spiritual gifts. You can even probably say grace gifts or gifts of grace. And then the third phrase is manifestation of the spirit. Paul uses that phrase quite a bit, particularly in chapter 12. And usually when he uses that phrase, manifestation of the Spirit, he's referring to the origin of what he's talking about. Where does this come from? It comes, the source of it is the Holy Spirit. And so often you'll hear, if you've been in charismatic churches a while, about the nine gifts of the Spirit. People like to, um, I want to say limit God, but that might be disrespectful. But, but they often talk about the nine gifts that are listed there. But they're off, in this passage particularly, they're actually referred to as manifestations of the Spirit. So they are things that originate from the Spirit of God uh, as He works in us and through us. So will you remember those three phrases and words that help tie some of the passages together? So just by way of overview, chapter 12, 13, 14, what Paul does in chapter 12 is he makes an argument that, that God's plan is for diversity within unity. God wants great variety of gifts, great variety of spiritual things, but it's one God and one church and one spirit. So God's plan is for diversity and unity. In chapter 13, uh, Paul shows that God's framework for this diversity and unity is the preferring the other love, the agape love. So when I'm operating in the gifts and the, and the Holy Spirit is manifesting through me, the good kind of manifesting through me, it's the framework within the, that much ha- must happen is love, the preferring one another love. So whether I'm, uh, now the challenge is whatever example I use, I'm going to, um, whether I'm prophesying or serving or doing an act of kindness, it has to be to prefer the other. The other is always the focus. That's the, the framework within, the gift, in, within, within which the gifts must always operate is the preferring of the other. And in chapter 14, Paul's main idea there is that God's desire is for the body to be edified. God's desires for the body edified means to be built up. God wants the body to be built up, to become mature, to become strong. So diversity within unity in the framework of love so that everybody can be built up, everybody can be edified. Is that okay? So I know you're all going to go home and read through all three chapters. Um, and we won't do all three chapters today in church just because of time. Last thing I just want to show you is if we look at these chapters as a, as a unit, chapter 12, 13, and 14, we see something else that uh, might be interesting to you, I don't know if it is, is that there's not only one list in these three chapters. There's probably five, some scholars argue for six or seven lists, but five is the easiest that I can identify. And so there's five lists that are given in these chapters. The first one starts in chapter 12, verse 7, and those are the nine manifestations of the Spirit, or the nine charismata, okay? So words of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits. Sorry, I just didn't have space to type in everything. Tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Then towards the end of chapter 12, Paul does something interesting. He gives another list, but then he mixes up persons and charismati. He mixes up people and gifts because he's talking about spiritual things, people of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. So he talks there about apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, other types of people as a ministry of helps, the ability to administrate or govern, rested in a person, miracles and healings. And then again, tongues and interpretation are mentioned in that list. So that's the second list that's in this passage. By the way, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists are gifts. If we read in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul writes about it, it says that Jesus gave these as gifts to the body as well. There's a list in chapter 13, the famous love chapter. It talks about various manifestations of the Spirit, like tongues and prophecies. If you can understand mysteries, if you know everything, if you have big faith that can move mountains, if you are able to give to the poor and if you're able to sacrifice yourself, there's a list there. There's a list of three things in chapter 13, verse 8, further down. There's prophecy, tongues, and knowledge again. And then the last list we find in chapter 14 where the church is gathered and there's hymns that the Spirit gives. There's words of instruction, words of revelation, knowing things that couldn't have been known perhaps another way, and then tongues and interpretation. And so I'm not going to teach today. My purpose today is not so much to teach 
on what these all are, but I just wanted to give you a picture of how these three chapters fit together. And the diversity, there's probably, depending how you link them together, 16 to 20 different kinds of spiritual things or manifestations of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in this passage. So before we jump into chapter 12, maybe just one or two cautions on application. In chapters 12, 13, 14, we learn a lot here about the church gathered. It's when the church comes together. That's the the broader scope. And obviously we can take principles from that and apply it when the church is scattered as well, outside of a Sunday service and things like that. But the focus that uh, Paul is talking about here is much more on the church gathered. Other challenge is about size. Now, we know that the Corinthian church met in homes, and we're not sure how big those homes were or how many people were in each home. Um, so you could be thinking of a home cell with between 8 and 12 people, or you could think more. I remember uh, when I was a young adult, which wasn't all that long ago, but uh, we managed to get about 60-plus people in a home at one stage. Um, so you can, the size of the church, but the idea would be that it's probably more a small to medium group. It's definitely probably not 2,000-plus people as would be here today that are gathered. And so we need to just factor in the size. So, for example, when it says that each one's given a gift and they share it for the body, if we had to, all 2,000 of us, say what we felt God was saying to us in the service, it would take a while. You understand? Whereas if the gathering was smaller, it would be different. So that's, for example, why we have something like our ministry, Mike, here, where there's a pastor on duty, and if you feel the Spirit's giving you something, you share it with them, they discern it, they speak with the service director to see how it fits into what God is doing. And so we just put a, something in place to help us um, perhaps have a little bit of order and uh, to save time, maybe, as well. And so just to be aware that there's something around the size uh, to take note of. If you do read chapter 14, I just um, I know when you preach, you're really supposed to only focus on one thing, but I like also to teach. So just a caution on chapter 14. Paul in chapter 14 talks a lot about prophecy and tongues. And he makes a clear case that he prefers prophecy. I just want to say it's not because he's against tongues. That's not what he's meaning at all, particularly if you look at these chapters together. What he's actually arguing for is that he prefers prophecy when the church is gathered because it clearly builds up, because everybody understands the prophet. He likes tongues when it's interpreted. Why? Because everybody can understand it. And when you can understand it, you can build the church up. So it's very important if you do happen to read chapter 14. Paul's not against tongues at all. In fact, he explicitly says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Okay, so with all those qualifications aside, let's look at chapter 12. When we come to this chapter, it's important that we realize that we come to it with certain questions. Usually when we come to this chapter as believers, we're asking a what question. We're asking the question, what are the gifts of the Spirit? So when we read about a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, we want to know what they are. And this is a great passage to use to teach on that. Now today I'm not going to teach so much on the what. Is that okay? We cover that very well in courses like Life Changes and uh, various other spaces and places. So if you want to know about the what, please connect with the Life Changes team and so on. But that's our question. I'm not sure that that was the Corinthian question. I'm not sure that's the question Paul was trying to answer to the church in Corinth. I think he was trying to answer a question about how. How do the gifts work when the church is gathered? We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the Corinthian church excelled in the gifts. They already knew what the gifts were. And what Paul's probably trying to do here in chapter 12, 13, and 14 is talk a little bit more about how the gifts were used. Is that okay? So we can learn both things. We can learn about the what and we can learn about the how from this passage. So, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Now that's that Greek word pneumatica. It's actually written in the neuter, neutral, or neutral, neuter sense. So it's probably spiritual things. So why do commentators say gifts of the Spirit? Largely because of the context of what's been spoken about in the next few verses and also beginning of chapter 14 where Paul does specifically talk about gifts. So it's a fair translation. Now about the pneumatica. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. We need to know about these things. Paul writes and he says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by dumb idols. Therefore... 
I want you to know that no one's speaking by the Spirit of God when the message originates from the Holy Spirit says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now we read those two phrases and we think, well, that's relatively easy to say. You can say Jesus is Lord. And does that mean the Holy Spirit generated that in you? It's important that we understand what that phrase meant, what that confession meant in the first century. In the first century, if you said Jesus is Lord, it was a pledge of allegiance. It was almost like saying you're born again. If you were prepared to say that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, you were affiliating, you were pledging allegiance to Jesus. Only in the first century a true Christian would dare say something like Jesus is Lord. Why does Paul say, why would somebody think that they could, as a source of the Spirit, say something like Jesus be cursed? Now, our challenge is we don't know in Corinth if that's what they were actually saying or if Paul's just using it as a contrast to this confession that Jesus is Lord. But what he is saying is that when something comes from the Spirit, it won't go against the Lordship of Jesus. When something comes from the Spirit, it's about allegiance to God. It's God honoring. It leads us to greater Lordship and loyalty towards God, not against. So perhaps I can say it this way. When it comes to spiritual things, content does matter. It does matter that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is glorified, that Jesus is given first place. You can't say that the Holy Spirit led you to do something which is against the clear and the plain teachings of Jesus. So when it comes to spiritual things or spiritual gifts or spiritual manifestations, content does matter. That's why it's important and we're told to discern the spirits and to discern prophecy because it is important to know that it aligns with this idea that Jesus is Lord. Not only that you say it, but that you mean it and that it's reflected in your life. So there's some other things in this passage, but for today, let's just take note that the contents matter. Let's keep on reading in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read from verse 4 to 6, and I want to highlight some things there for you in the text. Paul writes, and he says, there are different kinds of gifts, and Yeri uses that word, charismata. They are the gifts that originate from the Spirit. There are different kinds, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, and there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And so I just want to highlight, if you can put up the next slide for me, in the text here, you'll see in each verse, Paul highlights that there's different kinds of things. There's different kinds of gifts, there's different kinds of service, and there's different kinds of working. Now, I don't know if I'm being too theological in trying to split what these things are, and many scholars do. I think maybe Paul's just trying to show that there's difference. So the one point that he's making here is that there's gifts and service and workings. There's different kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in and through the church. But we also see in this text, next slide, that it's the same Spirit the same Lord and the same God. So there's different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but it's the same God. So while there's this diversity, while there's these different kinds of things, there's a unity that's inherent. It all comes from God. Now it's interesting here that we see that there's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus the Lord, and then there's God the Father. Because this diversity and unity is actually a reflection of who God is. Is. God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but yet He's three. There's a diversity and a unity in God. And so basically what Paul is saying here is when we come as a church gathered, we should expect that there's diversity and unity, that God brings different people together, but it's one God. We gather around one person, one purpose. So Paul's argument here, or pointing here towards the same Spirit, He's, not, he's, not, he's asking for unity, which I want to just say that at this time is not uniformity. Unity is where we have something that binds us and holds us together, a common purpose, a common baseline. Uniformity is when we try and make everything the same. Now, one big point that Paul's making here in chapter 12 is God doesn't want uniformity. He doesn't want everybody to be a teacher. Sorry. He doesn't want everybody to be a ministry of helps. He doesn't want everybody to be a prophet or speak in prophetic words or everybody to have a gift of healing. He wants 
all those things to be expressed in the body, but it's not everything for everybody who wants a bit of diversity going on in the, in, the, in the process. So what we see in this paragraph is that there's great variety when the church gathers, a great variety of expression of spiritual things. There's gifts, there's service, there's workings, but it all comes from the same God, and that's a point that holds it all together. So there's diversity in unity. As we carry on reading in chapter 12 from verse 7 to 11, and just to apologize, the font size on this um, slide is a little bit smaller, but I had to try and fit it all together in, into just one space. So it's, it's me and not our media team that doesn't know about font sizes, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, let's read from ver- uh, 1 Corinthians 12, sorry, let's read from verse 7 to 11 and look at some other things in the text. Paul writes and he says, Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and still to another interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my purpose is not to talk about and teach what each of those gifts are today, but these are supernatural manifestations. They originate with the Spirit of God, supernatural abilities that come from the Spirit of God. Let's look at that first sentence. Now to each one a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is very important when we remember gifts and spiritual things. They are always given for the common good. In other words, they're given for others, not yourself. Is that okay? God doesn't give you a tongue or a prophecy or let you do a miracle or give you a gift of faith for you. Now, do you benefit? Are you encouraged? Yes. But the primary, that's probably secondary. The primary purpose that God gives the gifts is always for the common good. And that's why when we gathered, whether in big groups, medium groups, small groups, the operating principle, one of the thesis principles, is it's always for the common good. And if it's not of benefit to everybody, then it's not for that meeting. How's that sound? If it's not for the benefit of everybody, then it shouldn't probably be for that meeting. It has to be encouraging for the common good. Please also note that Paul says each one. That might not mean that everyone sitting, for example, in this room, in every service, will get some form of manifestation or some form of gift. But it does mean it's possible for every single one of us, that the Holy Spirit can work. If you're born again, you believe you're a follower of Jesus, it is possible for the Holy Spirit to work in and through you and release one of the gifts of the Spirit through you. Is that okay? Each one, it's possible. It's not just for people who come on stage. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for people who are employed by the church. It's for each one. That is one of the defining things about the charismatic movement that I mentioned earlier that started in the 60s. It started with this idea that every believer is called by God. Every believer has a role to play in the body. It's not just uh, the paid professionals, for lack of a better terminology. Each one God can work through, but it's for the common good. And that becomes particularly in focus in chapter 14. Something else I'd like to show you in this passage, if we can put up the next slide, please, is you'll notice in every verse... I've underlined it for you, it's to each one, to each one, to each one, and then to another, and to another. And so it's not just the pastor or the preacher who gets all the gifts. It's distributed by whom? By the Holy Spirit to different people. And so we should expect when the church gathers that different people have something to contribute, the different people that God gives something to different people. But to another, and to another, and to another, and still to another. But again, as with the previous paragraph, do you see the words highlighted in red? It's from the Spirit. It's the same Spirit, the one Spirit. It all originates from God, given by the Holy Spirit. And so again, this idea of diversity, to to one, to another, to another, but the same Spirit, the unity, is emphasized. And so, by the way, we should expect that when the church, whether it's a home cell group, like a life group, a small group, or a medium group gathers, even in this size, 
is that there are different expressions of the Holy Spirit given. Not all of them might be supernatural like prophecies or words of knowledge. Some of them will be, as we saw in that list towards the end of chapter 12, ministry of helps. There will be someone who can administrate and keep things in order and govern well. All these things can be reflected. It's not just the nine gifts. It's probably the 20, 16 to 20 something gifts that I showed you in the list earlier that can be expressed. So while we're worshiping here in Sunday, there's people who are serving us in the parking lot. That's an expression of the grace of God in their lives. There's people who are doing hospitality and ushering. That's an expression of the gift of God. We can expect those kinds of things to be happening. It's very nice when your ushering team is spirit-inspired. Did you know that? Oh, like ours. Yes? Okay, I'll force you to clap. Okay. But it also means, so corporately we should expect this diversity, but I believe it's valid to say you can also expect it personally. The Holy Spirit can manifest a variety of gifts in you and through you as you cooperate and as you're with Him. So when you're going to a church-gathered kind of meeting, whatever size it is in, it's valid to say, Holy Spirit, won't you work through me in this meeting? And you might find that there's a more common way the Holy Spirit works through you. Maybe you often get words of encouragement and prophecy. Maybe you're, you just love when the church gathers to make tea and to serve everybody. You might find there's a more dominant one. But you don't have to limit yourself or limit God to just one gift. And so I know sometimes in charismatic circles we talk about what's your gift. And it's a fine question, and I think that might be true. But actually, it's about what gifts are you going to allow the Lord to flow through you. So diversity is very important. Different persons in different places, but all from the same spirit. That's our unity. Let's read on in chapter 12. And I'm just going to go quickly through the next three verses. Because Paul introduces here a body metaphor. He now wants to kind of land this idea of diversity and unity. And he gives us a metaphor of the body of Christ to understand it. And he introduces it in, chapter, in verse 12. So just as the body, though one, has many parts, so like your body has many parts, um, but all its parts form one body, it's still one body, so it is with Christ, the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, without distinction. And we were all given one spirit to drink, we were all filled with one spirit. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Paul's just basically landing a principle that what truly unites us in all our diversities of gifts, racial backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, Paul left our gender here. Sorry, ladies, but I think he means it too, okay? Gender backgrounds, okay, if I may speak for Paul, um, is that this is one spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us part of the body of Christ and then fills us, and that's what truly unites us. It's the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not our theology, ultimately, that unites us. It's not our preferences of worship style, preaching or teaching that unites us. It's the presence of God that unites us. And so let's look at what I'm calling the first body metaphor. Now, technically, it's all one, but the first part of the body metaphor, which we find from verse 15 to 20. Paul takes this idea that us together, gathered here today, we're like a, a human body. We have got different parts. Now he wants to make two points using this metaphor or this analogy. Sorry for the English teachers, I'm using incorrect parts of speech. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease or stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we are all one, sorry, for if we are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. A couple of things that I maybe want to expand on from this analogy. Paul's main point is that if everybody just had one gift, let's for, pick one. Uh, you know, our challenge is what everyone I pick becomes 
boxed. Um, let's talk about the green gift. Is that okay? If everybody in the church had the green gift, what Paul is saying is it wouldn't actually be a body. It would just be a green thing. So if everybody was just focused on speaking in tongues, if everybody was just focused on words of knowledge, or if everybody was just focused on healing, you're missing something about the richness that God intends in the body. Can there be ministries with specific focuses? Yes, sure, I believe that. But when the body is gathered, it's about diversity. It's also interesting in this analogy, and I don't think I'm taking it too far, to note who speaks. Now, there's a little bit of absurdity in here because we all know that ears don't speak and eyes don't speak. At least you should know that. Okay. Um, and I think the absurdity is intentional on Paul because he's trying to show how weird it would be if a body was only one thing, that there's supposed to be diversity. But notice that it's, uh, let's pick the first one, the foot. It's the foot speaking to whom? Probably to itself. The foot is saying to itself, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. So that's like saying, because I'm not a teacher or a prophet or a miracle worker, I'm not part of the body. You're speaking to yourself, but what's actually happening is you're disqualifying yourself from the vital role you have to play in the body. That's why the ear shouldn't say to the eye. You can't disqualify yourself. The part the foot or the ear or the hand, can't disqualify itself and say, because I'm not that, because I don't speak in tongues, because I don't prophesy, because I don't sing and worship, because I don't do that, I'm not actually part of the body. Paul is saying you can't do that. And so in this first body metaphor, Paul makes two main points. One, diversity. The body has many parts. But it's a body, nevertheless. It is still one body. There's diversity within unity. The second thing he says in summary, sorry guys, can you go to the next slide? I'll come back to this one. It's my, my mistake. Is that we ought not to disqualify ourselves. You cannot say, because I'm not that, I'm not part of the body. Now if we can step back one slide in verse 18, this is what Paul says. It's God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them. God has placed you. He has placed every Corinthian believer. He's placed you, every one of us, just as he wanted them to be. So when we gather and God works a spiritual gift through you, or whatever gifts he's given you, whatever inclinations and motivations and passions he's given you, God has placed you in the body. And you can't use what you don't have to disqualify yourself. So all the parts are necessary if we are to be a body of Christ. And many, sh many gifts should be manifested in a gifted body. Paul carries on in the verse 21 in this chapter, and he takes the same metaphor of the body, and he applies it in a bit of a different way. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are actually indispensable. And those parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While the presentable parts need no special treatment. This is why. Because God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. So it matters not what your gifted is, what gift you have, what the Holy Spirit works in you and through you, we have to have equal concern for one another. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, in the previous analogy, the foot was speaking of itself. In this analogy, the eye says to the hand, I don't need you. And so this is, perhaps in terms of gifts, this is where um, the teachers can't say to the apostles, we don't need you. And the apostles can't say to the teachers, we don't need you. We ought not to disqualify others because they don't meet our criteria or our preference in gifting. And sometimes we have this desire to conform others. You know, if everybody could just be a teacher like me, Sundays would be easy. We'd understand one another just like that, for example. 
Okay. And our desire to conform others to our strengths or our gifts and our preferences makes the body less than it ought to be. Just to highlight again, verse 24, 25, God has put the body together. And if he's put it together that way, we should not be disqualifying others. Why? Verse 25, so, so, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. So we see in this metaphor, we're all supposed to have equal concern. We're supposed to be as concerned for the parking team and those that are demonstrating their gift of service that way than what we would for the preacher. We have equal value because that's what God is doing to keep the body gathered together well. We should value diversity of giftedness. We should want people to express different gifts in the body. We should want it. We should encourage it. We should desire it. And we ought not to disqualify others. Those ones that speak in tongues, we don't want them in our body. Okay, I'm just an example. You're welcome. If you speak in tongues, is that okay? I believe, I almost called this message, I believe in speaking in tongues, but then I thought it would not match with what I actually wanted to say. Okay. But we can't disqualify other people because they have different gifts than what we are comfortable with, perhaps. And so we can't negate ourselves Paul says, but we also can't negate or disqualify others. Last verse we want to read this morning, and then I believe the Lord has a specific point of ministry for us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, and we'll, we'll have to stop with this verse. Now you, plural, us all gathered together, are the body of Christ, but each one of you, singular, is part of it. Do you believe, as you're sitting here this morning, that you a part of the body of Christ. We all together are, as a church gathered, part of a body. But are you part of it, of the body? And I'm wondering if sometimes there's many here, or some here, that haven't disqualified themselves from playing their part in the body of Christ for various reasons. Perhaps you've on occasion said, because I am not a pastor, I'm not as much part of what's happening here as something else. Because I don't know how to prophesy, because maybe I don't know how to hear God's voice clearly, because I am not, dot, dot, dot. Whatever reason, perhaps you're saying, because I'm not young anymore, because I'm old, I can't contribute fully and be available to God, for God to use fully. Perhaps the converse is true. Perhaps you're going, well, I'm too young, and there's just like old people here. It's one of the things I love about our children's ministry here at Hatfield is they teach the children to operate in the gifts of the Spirit for themselves because age is not a qualification to be used by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you say you're not rich enough, you don't have enough social standing or status to be part of the body. Perhaps it's about culture or nationality because I'm not this, because I'm a foreigner come from a different place in Africa or the world, and this is a South African church, because I am not. Maybe you're saying, because I'm not a man, or, okay, I'm not going to claim to know anything further about the mind of a lady, okay, but maybe it's a gender thing, you're saying, well, those things are for men. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts to each one as he sees fit. Maybe it's your health, because I'm not healthy, because I'm confined or I'm restricted in movement or because I have pain, I can't be fully part of the body of Christ. Perhaps it's guilt over things you've done in the past that you've confessed, you've prayed through, you've dealt with as best as you can, but you're remembering always what happened and what you've done. And that guilt means that, you know, who am I to go to the ministry, Mark? Who am I to share an encouraging word? Who am I to serve someone else in the body of Christ? For whatever reason, You've been disqualifying yourself. So what gift of grace do you bring to the body of Christ? If these scriptures are true, which they are, the Holy Spirit will gift you. And that gift we need, maybe I must put it this way, the body of Christ needs you. Hatfield needs you. Because God can work in you and through you the Holy Spirit bestows gifts on you that we all need. Why? For the common good. 
so that we can all be built up, so that we can do what God wants to do in Hatfield and through Hatfield like we wouldn't imagine or believe because each one is fully participating. Each one is fully engaged. Each one is leaning in to what God would want to do. Now, often these things are little things, not big things. Not everybody can preach it. There's only space for one at a, at a time, okay? It's not necessarily a big thing like this, if this is a big thing. I don't know, actually. It's a terrifying thing, I'll tell you that much, okay? But maybe it's not this. It's the little things. I mentioned when I started that we used to attend this church, and often we'd have to walk so far across Bloemfontein to get there. But there's another part to that story. There was a younger man, I think he'd just finished school, um, who on as many Sundays as he could, he would get one of those old yellow Volkswagen combis. Do you remember? Anybody remember them? And the thing kind of worked, because that's how all new churches, they have buses that kind of work. Okay? And he would come to the hostels of the, all the high schools in Bloomington. He would drive. I don't know what time he would get up on a Sunday morning, but he would drive and he would come and fetch kids from the hostel to take them to church. That's a gift of service. He wasn't all that eloquent. In fact, I think he battled a little bit um, intellectually. I remember driving in the bus thinking, this guy's a little weird. You know, I was in high school. Cool was very important. This guy was not cool. But you know what? He served the hostel kids. And he drove and he fetched us and he took us to, to church. And I definitely went to church many more Sundays because he fetched us than if I had to walk every time on my own. So I was exposed more to things of the Spirit because someone was prepared to do what was a little thing by some standards. If I may have time to tell one more story, is that okay? I'll go a little bit over. I knew I got called to ministry in 1986, um, but I did quite well at school, so there was huge pressure for me to go and study. And even people were saying to me, like, you know, even if you know you're called to ministry, study something, get a qualification so that you've got a backup plan, okay? Um, but I knew that God was calling me. But there was quite a lot of pressure, not so much from my family. Um, my mom was really, really, like, godly in this respect. She kind of kept that pressure. But from people I knew, and, and I was visiting that same young girl that I told you I was so interested in, okay, I was visiting her family, uh, on their farm in Vomaranstadt. Anybody know where that is? Okay. Uh, it's in the northwest province. It was the old Western Transvaal in those days. It was kind of deeply Avia Beer territory. Now, this family wasn't like that at all. They were a completely spirit-filled family, wonderful family. And I was visiting there, and I had a discussion with uh, the girl's mom, actually, about this discussion about go get something to back you up and don't go straight into ministry and get a qualification and, and, and all those things. And we had that discussion and the next morning we came for breakfast and she said, I want to take back what I said to you yesterday. And then she told me this story. Now remember, this is apartheid South Africa. There's distinctions all over the place. And they had a gentleman who was like their house manager. He was one of the employees on the farm. He was a black man. His name was Yapi. 30 years ago. I still remember his name. Sorry. And the previous night, Yapi was born again, as were many of their workers. And the previous night, Yapi had had a vision where God spoke to him about me and the fact that I was called to ministry and that that is what I should do. So there's a large part of why I'm here today because a black gentleman in apartheid South Africa, God spoke to him. God gave him a vision that he shared with his employer and then she just stepped back and took the pressure off me. So race, social, socioeconomic divisions matters not. God works. So because someone was prepared to drive a bus and take me to a charismatic church, because a man who worked on a farm was obedient enough to hear from God and share it bravely. God, it's the little things. It's the things, it's how you, sorry, it's the friendliness of us when people come into the church and we greet one another. It's that spirit of hospitality 
That is the body of Christ. It's also the supernatural things like we're going to do now after the service. We're going to pray for people. And if people need healing, we want to pray and trust God that gifts of healing come. It is those things. It is the words of knowledge. It is the supernatural elements. But it's the manifestations of the Spirit that make us the body of Christ. And so, if I can invite you to stand, please. Sorry, I went a few minutes over, but I wanted to tell the story. What gift of grace do you bring to the body of Christ? Is there any space or place where you've disqualified yourself from leaning in and being part of what God says? Where you've said, because I am not, and you've just taken a step back, believe the Spirit of God today wants to invite you to step in and to lean in. And I don't know your story, and I don't know if there is anything, but... um, Perhaps I had a word of knowledge. Maybe people have been disqualifying themselves because of their age or their health or their guilt. Let's settle those things today so that we can be the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of the body of Christ. So Father, I pray for us as people who believe in you and who want to be disciples, that you help us to be more fully part of your body. Lord, where there's reasons that we've stepped back, don't like the worship, don't like the preaching, guilt, ill health, Lord, I pray you help us to overcome those by the power of your Spirit. Help us to lean in to be that body for which Jesus died, to be that body for which Jesus went to the cross, to be that body for which Jesus won. And then we thank you, Lord, as we sang earlier, your grace is enough. And so, Lord, if I may, that as a body, we open our hearts to you. We know, Lord, that it's about each one as the Spirit wills that you have built this body and placed each part exactly where you intended it. So thank you, Lord, that we can be here in this local body today. Thank you for those of us you've called to be part of this body. I know there's others that are visiting, Lord, where you've called them to be part of other bodies. But help us, Lord, to walk with the Spirit and not against the Spirit. Help us to lean in to what you are doing here at Hatfield and in whatever local body we are part of. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been particularly battling with guilt of things from the past, and we'd love to pray with you. If you have any other particular prayer need, the pastors and some of the elders in the prayer team will be here to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and you're not part of the body of Christ, won't you come and let us pray and make you part of the body of Christ together? We'd love to pray with you so that you can become more of what God wants to do in his church. Amen. Thank you.